Uh, so for those of you that are new or perhaps haven't been a part of it, we're in a series that we're calling Felt Board Faith. And what we're talking about, of course, is those stories from our childhood that just kind of resonate. In fact, whether you have a church background or not, they're the kinds of stories that kind of permeate society. You hear them all over the place. And what we're doing is taking a fresh look at each of those stories, not to rehearse them necessarily, but uh, maybe to go a little bit deeper and pull some principles out of them. Today's story is one that Hollywood absolutely loves. Hollywood has made, I don't know, thousands of movies on this story, TV shows, books have been written with the theme of this story. We all love the story when the little guy defeats the bad guy or the, or the underdog wins over the big guy. I mean, just, those are the kinds of stories that we love to celebrate, to tell our kids, to, to encourage them when they're facing difficulties in their lives. And that's the story, of course. We're talking about the story of David and Goliath that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, you can do that. Or, or if you want to go to the Bridge NC app, download that app if you haven't already. I understand we had 27,000 fresh downloads of the, of the Bridge NC app last month. It's just phenomenal what God is doing through the digital uh, world, but right here in the room or online as well, we hope you'll take advantage of that because all the scriptures and all the notes are there for you to follow along with me. So let's go into it. That, again, not going to rehearse the story. We're here to dig deeper than Hollywood does. I believe that there is that there are some real simple truths uh, from this story that it can actually be captured in an equation. And I'll just be honest with you. Uh, if you leave here today not remembering anything but the equation, I'll be a happy man. So we're going to get this equation down. Okay, ready? Let's put it up on the screen. Here we go. The equation is simply this. Say, wait, wait with me. Here we go. Faith in God Come on, faith in God plus availability to God equals giants are going down. Now, you got you to get into it. I need you to work with me here, okay? So let's do it one more time. Uh, give me something. Here we go. Faith in God plus availability to God equals Well, I heard one voice out there. Giants are going down. Down. You're going to say it like you mean it. Giants are going down. And so let me just give you a quick, quick overview of the equation, and then we're going to dig into it, kind of unpack each element, and I'll let you go in just a few minutes, okay? What's, so what's the first part of our equation? What is it? Faith in God, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe two things. What are they? They must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so what we're talking about here is not faith in ourselves. David and Goliath is not a self-help story. It's not a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, take out your giants kind of story. It is a faith in God is there, God cares, and God has the power to do something about whatever it is that's going on in my life. Let's just be honest, guys. Every one of us have some giants in our lives that if we can handle it on our own, we would have by now. We would have by now. So we need God to show up in a powerful way in those giants in our lives. So what's the second part of the equation? Come on. Availability to God. Now we're talking about taking our faith that he exists and rewards and turning it into action steps. Here's what I believe. Here's what I'm going to do. In fact, James 
uh, said it pretty succinctly. He says, your faith is useless until you take that next step. James 2.14, my brothers and sisters, if people say they have faith but do nothing, their faith is worth nothing. Can faith like that save them? Obviously, the answer to his question is is no. So faith in God plus availability to God equals the giants going down, right? So all I'm saying to you, and we're going to unpack it in just a second here, all I'm saying to you is that if you get this equation right in your life, you can face the giants of your life with the same confidence as believing that one plus one equals two. It's just as real, it's just as, as true, and it was true for David and his giant Goliath, and it's true for you and me and the giants of our lives. So let's go back, let's walk through the story kind of just very quickly, lots of detail. I'm not going to unpack all of it, just pull a few of the salient points out. But let's kind of overlay our formula on top of it as kind of a backdrop for the whole story. You ready to get into it? So again, what's the first part of the equation? Faith in God. You got it. Which sounds like the easy part, right? Of course, I believe in God. The problem is that the journey to become a person of faith has all kinds of obstacles and challenges to it. In fact, David faced uh, three of the biggest ones uh, in this one episode in his life, and, uh, but he didn't let any of them stop him. So let's see if we can learn from his example. First of all, Dave, David was a man of faith in spite of the giant's size. He was a man of faith in spite of the giant's size. I mean, the, the, the children of Israel were terrified at this giant Goliath that was standing in the valley challenging them day after day for 40 days, but David didn't let that stop him. Is fear a factor in moving forward in life? Does fear keep us from going after the obstacles and the giants in our lives? It is, isn't it? I mean, it's a huge deal. They tell me that when babies are first born, the only thing that they're afraid of is, is falling and loud noises. I don't know if that's true. It resonates for me and my boys when they're coming up. Some of you say, oh, you ain't met my kids. I ain't scared of nothing. Well, that may be true, but when we're first born, they tell me that's what we're scared of. But then as we grow up and we have life experiences, there are a lot of other fears that come on. So let me put you on the spot, okay? How many of you will admit that when you were a kid, you were afraid of the dark? I got, I got two or three hands raised. I was scared to death of the dark. Now, here's, here's how the rule goes. You tell me if it's true. The rule goes that if you, once you get under the covers, the boogeyman can't get you no more, right? Because he can't get under covers. That's the way it works, <laughs> right? And so I, I kid you not, at one point in my life, I remember it vividly, absolutely true story. I had timed it out from, my, from the door of my bedroom where the light switch was to my bed was three steps and a dive. And so, and so I pulled the covers back. I'd get to the light. I'd brace myself, hit the light switch. One, two, three, dive under the covers. I could do it in a second and a half. Didn't have time for the boogeyman to get me, right? And all is good until we move to another house. And the first night in my new bedroom, I would... Got my covers down, got it ready, stand at the door, hit the light switch, one, two, three, dive, landed on the hardwood floor. Ah, uh, my room was bigger this time. But I kid you not, I bounced. You ever heard of bouncing off a of hardwood? I bounced off the hardwood floor into my bed and under the covers. Cost me an extra second, but I was safe. True story. I was 17 at the time. No, that, that part's not. That part's not true. 
I mean, it's just true. We got these kind of fears and lots of others. How many were afraid of thunderstorms as a kid? Still are. Yeah, you just kind of that noise, particularly when the lightning and the thunders at the same time. I mean, it just un- it's unnerving. And so we all maybe have been kids or no kids who when that kind of thing happens, man, they're in mom and dad's bedroom. They're crawling up to bed. Can I sleep with you tonight? I mean, those are terrors that are inherent uh, in, in doing life. Well, guess what? As you grow up and you deal with some of those things or learn to process some of those things, there's still things like fear of the unknown and fear of rejection and fear of failure and FOMO that we hear a lot about these days, fear of missing out. Those are all fears that we have to deal with. Otherwise, they become paralyzing and we never really accomplish the things in life that we want or overcome the obstacles that we have to face. It's a reality. In fact, we're going to do a whole series this fall that we're simply calling Stop Running Scared, and we're going to help you deal with fear according to the Word of God so that you can overcome some of those things. For now, understand that David didn't let the same fear that his brothers were facing, he didn't let it stop him. Back up a little bit, the children of Israel. Slaves in Egypt, set free by God's power, Red Sea parts. They make their way across the Sinai Peninsula and across the desert. They get to the gateway of the promised land that God says, this is yours. You can take it, surely. They send uh, 12 spies in. 10 of them come back and two, and, and, uh, they all come back. 10 of them says, whoa, no, we, we can't do this. Uh, there are giants in that land and we're just grasshoppers. Only two, Joshua and Caleb said, well, God said we can, therefore we can. Unfortunately, the whole nation listened to the 10 spies instead of the two, and the result was they did another lap in the desert. In fact, they kept doing laps in the desert until that whole generation died off over a 40-year period. It was only the next generation that Joshua was able to lead into the promised land when, in fact, they could have conquered that giant from the beginning if they put their faith in God. Now, fast forward a few generations. There's a new giant now that's challenging their faith. This time, we're talking about a real giant. In fact, when you study Goliath, both from scripture and from history, you discover this guy was probably close to nine feet tall. His helmet weighed 30 pounds. Standard football helmet's five pounds, if that gives you some kind of perspective on it. His coat of armor was made of bronze or brass, which says, based on his size, it had to have weighed about 125 pounds or more, this plate of honor, and the the tip of his spear alone weighed 30 pounds. This is a beast. This guy is a monster of a man, enough to make the most courageous warrior wilt in the face of him standing there. And for 40 days, he's walking out, and he's taunting them. He's smacking his lips. He's saying, fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the, oh, I'm sorry, wrong story. Uh, He's saying, hey guys, uh, come on, challenge me. I got you. If you can beat me, we'll all surrender. And if I beat you, then you all become our slaves. Day after day after day, they cower in fear. Along comes young shepherd David, bringing some pimento cheese sandwiches or something to his brothers on the battlefield. And he learns what's going on. He looks out across the valley and says in, Chapter 17, verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? For those of you who don't know, uncircumcised was a symbol of a covenant with God in those days. And so he's saying, who is this guy? He's not a follower of God. He's not, he's not a, 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 a servant of God. What are we scared of him for? 
Go ahead. All the Israelites, can, all they can see is a giant, and all David can see is a guy who doesn't serve the Lord. He's just a man. We have God on our side. In other words, the size of the giant had no bearing on David's faith. Do I need to say that again? Because I think it's huge. The size of the giant had no bearing on David's faith, which leads me to my favorite preacher line in this whole story. Everybody else is saying Goliath is too big to hit. David's saying he's too big to miss. Let's take him out. Hear me, guys. Before you conquer your giants, you have got to stop looking at how big they are and start remembering how big your God is. Big problem, big solution, big obstacles, big God, big solutions. But you've got to come to that conclusion where you say, by faith, my God is bigger than my giant. Jeremiah the prophet said, nothing is too difficult for him. That's going to be a challenge to your faith if you want to bring the giants down. Second challenge that David faced successfully, and I want you to face uh, as well, and that is that David had faith in spite of critics. In spite of critics. Pick up our story in verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Understand, Eliab is just picking on him, putting him down, criticizing him every which way. But you might need to know the context because Eliab is probably still stinging from chapter 16 when Samuel came down to their father's house to say, God sent me to anoint the next king of Israel. Show me your sons. And Eliab was the first of the sons that he saw. And Samuel said, nah, that's not him. Yeah, he's tall, broad-shouldered, good-looking, but that's not him. We're not looking at the outside. We're looking at the inside. Looked at all of Jesse's sons. Nah, that's not, no, that's not. Haven't you got any more sons? Well, I got the kid who plays a harp up in the hills watching sheep sleep. That can't be him. I need to see him. And sure enough, David comes down and God tells to Samuel, that's the man, anoint him as the next king of Israel. So Eliab is affected by that event, no doubt, in the words that he says to his little brother, David. In fact, let me put it this way. I dare say that Eliab's criticism of David had more to do with the journey that he was on than it did the journey that David was on. Are you tracking with me in terms of our own lives? Quite often the people that come after us the hardest, that what they're saying has very little to do with who we are or what we're doing. It has a lot to do with what's going on in there. Lives, the modern phrase that people like to say is haters gotta hate. I prefer to say hurting people hurt people. It gives me a softer view of who they are and helps me to pray for them and their journey. But at the end of the day, I will not be defined by the criticisms of hurting people. I hope you won't either. David said, I won't. I will not be defined by the criticism that Eliab has brought. He knew he only came to serve. He came to bring lunches and found out what was going on. In the process of all that, he discovered 
that, that stepping out by faith is going to involve some critical kinds of people. He did not allow it to affect his faith. Hear me. Whatever battle you're facing, whatever giant you've got to overcome, don't go into it believing there aren't going to be any critics. Don't go into it believing that everybody's going to applaud you. Everybody's going to say it's wonderful. Everybody's going to say, man, this is the best thing in the world. You're going to have some people that are going to bring you down. And why is that true? Why does God allow that to happen? I think he allows it so we'll know how much faith we have. You understand, he knows how much faith you have. He wants you to know how much faith you have so that when you get into the real battle associated with going after this giant, you will have the faith to stand. So when you hear God say, I want you to start a business, and you got people around you laughing and saying, good luck with that, and this economy, are you kidding? You can't start a business now. You can know whether your faith is in what they say or what God says. When God says, I want you to work through your problems in your marriage and people around you are saying, forget about it. You're too far gone, man. Just dump the jerk and run. That's what you ought to be doing. You, you, you can know my faith is in God and what he says, not what the critics are saying. When God says, I want you to overcome this mountain of debt, I want you to, to get to the place where you're living debt-free. And everybody says, that's not possible today. You can't live debt-free anymore. But you say, wait a minute, I'm not going to make my decisions based on what critics say, I'm going to base it on what God says. I mean, I could stand here and spend the next hour telling you stories from my life where I've come to these moments where if I listened to the critics, I would have run away crying. I could have set up a microphone and you could do the same thing if you've been following the Lord very long because we all find ourselves facing these giants from time to time. It's a reality of walking with Christ, and I believe that God allows those things in order for us to see for ourselves and decide for ourselves, am I going to put my faith in God or am I going to put my faith in these critics? David had faith in spite of the size of his giant, and he had faith in spite of the critics. There was a third challenge, though, that was just as daunting, maybe more so, and that is David had faith in spite of the doubters. Look at verse 33 of 1 Samuel 17. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. Now understand, Saul that we're talking about here is the king of the nation. But he's not just the king. I mean, Eliab was tall, good-looking, broad-shouldered, big guy. But Saul was said to be head and shoulders above every man in the kingdom. It's one of the reasons they picked him as king. And so not only do you have the king saying, ah, you can't do this, but you've got this big strapping dude who says, if I can't do it, you can't do it. It's foolish for you to think you can. But again, David's base, faith wasn't based in what the critics say or what the doubters say. His faith was based on God's faithfulness. Do I need to say that again? His faith was not based on what other people said. His faith was based on God's faithfulness. Pick up the story in verse 34 and 5. <clears throat> but David said to Saul, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. 
The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. You, you picking up what David's putting down? Are you tracking with him? He, he's, he's saying, the reason I have faith that God will help me to do this is because I've been paying attention to his track record. I've been paying attention to what God has done in the past. And there, yeah, there was a time when a lion came and he stole one of my lambs and I, whatever, whacked him over the head and took the lion out of it and took the lamb out of his mouth. I said, you can't have that. And then when he turned on me, I grabbed him by the hair of the head and, and just smote him right there. For the record, God hasn't called me to be a lion tamer. So if a lion comes in the room right now, you're on your own, okay? I just I can't help you. But apparently David knew what God had told him to do and he did it. Bottom line is he knew who God was because he'd been paying attention to what God did. His faith was based on God's faithfulness in his life. Wasn't based on the size of the giant. Wasn't based on the critical comments that he got. It wasn't based on the doubters who said it was crazy to think he could do this. It was based on God's faithfulness. So let's go back to our equation, okay? What was the equation again? Anybody remember? Here we go. Faith in God plus availability to God equals giants going down. We got it, okay? So in spite of everything, David looked at Saul in verse 32 and says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Hear me. Here's what I want to say. I'm going to bring this to a close in just a minute, but here's what I want you to hear me say. David's faith that God could take Goliath out was not enough to ensure that God would take Goliath out. He also had to step up and make himself available. Remember James 2.14? Without faith, I mean faith without works is, is useless. It's, it's dead. Can I tell you that I can't tell you how many people that I've known over the years, even seasons in my own life, when we see giants in the way, we see the obstacle that needs to be overcome. We see the issue that's before us and our first reaction is to, is to be afraid of it. Our first reaction is to listen to the critics. Our first reaction is to listen to the doubters. The first reaction is to listen to our own doubts. So we work hard to get to that place. No, wait a minute, I know who God is and I know God is faithful and I know God is dependable and he's gotten me through every other circumstance in my life and I'm here because of him right now. So I believe, I believe that God is who he says he is. I believe he exists. I believe he cares about me. I believe he has the power to do something like this, about this, and yet nothing has happened because they haven't made themselves available to God. They do the, you remember playing show and tell when we were in school? You can bring something and show it to the class and tell everybody about it. They want to play show and tell with God. They say, okay, God, uh, uh, you show me that you're going to do something about this and then I'll tell you whether or not I'll join you. It don't work that way. It doesn't work that way. God waits for us to take the first step of faith to partner with us. Uh, even in our series of short stories we've been looking at during this series, Jonah didn't see the big fish until he was in the water. Daniel didn't spend the night with lions with their mouths closed until after he decided, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing. I'm going to keep praying and be faithful. I'm going to be who God called me to be. It's after we take that first step of faith 
that God shows up and makes the difference in our lives, which ultimately gets us to the equal sign of the equation, which we're all looking forward to. The giant, come on, is going down. We all know the story. It's one of the most famous in all of history. But can I be honest with you and tell you that most of us tell the story wrong? I've told it wrong many times in the past myself. In one part of this story, we get wrong. And it's an important part. You know, we say, you know, he went down and he picked up five smooth stones with his sling and he went out into the valley and, and he put one of his stones in there and, and he worked it. He hit Goliath in the forehead and Goliath went down. He took his sword and he chopped his head off. He killed him. David killed Goliath. But that's not what David said. Look at verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you can come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, read it with me, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. He didn't just come to take Goliath out, he came to take them all out. Somebody said one time, if, if he's such a man of faith, why'd he pick up five stones instead of one? Because Goliath had four brothers. He was going to take them out too. Because he knew it wasn't his job to take them out. It was his job to believe in God and make himself available. And then trust God to bring the giant down. So I got to close. But you know I got to ask first. What giant are you facing right now? Giants are you facing right now? Maybe more important question is what's making it hard for you to trust God with that battle? Is it that you've forgotten that your God is bigger than your giant? Is it because you got some people whispering in your ear, criticizing you, criticizing your faith? Maybe there's some people around you saying, oh man, you're crazy, this can't work, not gonna happen. Maybe you got some doubters. Maybe it's your own doubts. The real question then is, what's your next step toward taking this giant out? so that God can make up the difference between what you're capable of and what he's telling you to do. What's your next step? Can we pray that prayer together? Father, thank you for these men and women, boys and girls that have gathered here today who are watching online. Many of whom perhaps have been paralyzed in time past or are paralyzed right now with the knowledge that there are giants taunting them daily and they feel powerless to do anything about it. You've brought us together today just simply to remind us that if we'll put our faith in you and do what we can do, that you will make up the difference, that you will bring the giant down. So I'm praying for a bolster of our faith. I'm praying for the courage to step out in faith. And I'm thanking you in advance for the way 
you're going to empower us all to overcome the giants that are keeping us from being the people of God you've called us to be and enjoying the things of life that you've provided for us. In Jesus' name, keep your head bowed for just a moment. I won't keep you much longer, but I really would love for you to pray a prayer with me. Do it silently or aloud. Do it in your own words, but let it go something like this. Jesus, I need you. Stuff in my life is bigger than I am, but it's not bigger than you are. So forgive me for letting fear reign instead of faith. Help me to step out in faith, believing you. And I thank you in advance for the way you're going to show up. I will give you the glory knowing that the battle ultimately belonged to you all along anyway. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with me this morning, guys. Thanks so much for being here in person or online. So glad that you guys were able to be in the house of the Lord or to be worshiping with the people of God. I do pray that he's spoken to you today. Powerful time worship and song and communion and then around the word of God. I hope he's speaking to you. I pray that he will. Let me pray for you before we go, okay? Father, thank you for assembling us. I pray that you'd keep us safe in this season. I pray, especially in these days, Lord, that you'd give us wisdom to how to navigate these waters that frankly none of us have ever been in before. And we thank you in advance for the protective mercies that you're giving us all in Jesus' name and all God's people said.